Amen. Good worship tonight. Thank you all for lifting up your hearts and your voices to the Lord. Because worship certainly is a heart issue. Genesis 20. Tonight we're going to look at the rescue of Sarah. Seems like God rescues a lot of people in the Bible, doesn't he? We just saw the rescue of Lot. Now we're seeing the rescue of Sarah. And it reminds us that our God is a God who saves. He's a God who rescues. He's a God who delivers. And if you need saving or rescuing or deliverance, or you know of someone in your orbit or your life who needs rescued or saved or deliverance, you know where to point them to. The only God who can truly save. Before we worship the Lord tonight, I shared with you that we're going to see in this passage tonight that Abraham's faith is faltering, but God's faithfulness does not. That God's faithfulness towers over the unfaithfulness of Abraham. But before we get into some of those specifics, I want you to join me in Genesis 20. And I want to share a few other things with you before we actually get into Abraham's deception. In fact, this chapter divides very nicely into four sections. Verses 1 and 2, we're going to see Abraham's deception. Verses 3 through 7, lessons of God's grace. Verse 8 through verse 13, we're going to talk about Abraham being confronted with his sin. And then finally, in verses 14 through 18, Abraham's intercession for Abimelech. First of all, we see that Abraham, verse 1, chapter 20 of Genesis, journeyed from there to the Negev. Why is that significant? Because back in chapter 12, verse 9, the Bible basically sets up for us the history of Abraham's life. And what it tells us there is that Abraham continually journeyed by stages down to the Negev. God is reminding us that not only is Abraham's life a life of stages or seasons, but all of our lives are lives of stages and seasons. And what God wants to accomplish in each and every stage and season is that we find him and we grow in him more and more. And based even on what Solomon says in the book of Ecclesiastes, and this is my encouragement to all of us tonight, we learn to enjoy every stage of our life and every season of our life. That's so important. And the Bible tells us that the only way we can enjoy every stage and season of our life is through God. God, according to Solomon, gives us the ability to enjoy each stage and season of life and to get out of each stage and season of life what God wants us to receive. And the most important thing, the greatest priority in every stage and season is that we get more of God 
in each stage and season, that we find him in each stage and season. We also read in verse 1 that while he lived as a temporary resident in Gerar. And that reminds us, too, that remember, the life of Abraham and Sarah was one where they never were really settled anywhere on earth. They were constantly sojourning. They were living a pilgrimage life. They were literally pounding down their tent stakes and driving their tent stakes into the ground for a while and then literally taking the tent stakes back up and moving. And I say all that to remind us that that's the way God wants us to live our life here on earth too. He wants us to primarily be settled in Him. Not in this world. Not in the things of this world. But to be settled and find our stability in Him. Because even the New Testament tells us that we are sojourners. We are just passing through. That this world is not our home. That according to Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven, from which we look for our Savior there. And Jesus even said to encourage his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, where we're all going, and that's our true home, are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, and I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. That's our home, not here. So that's why we need to go through this life, not really trying to grab all that the world can offer, but invest in eternal things and in eternity, because that's our home. We're just a temporary resident here. And that's one of the things we also learn from the life of Abraham. But then we come to verse 2. And we see Abraham said about his wife, Sarah, she is my sister. So Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. Now this is the second time that's recorded in Scripture that Abraham has done this to his wife. We know back in chapter 12, he did this in Egypt and Pharaoh took her. In fact, if you go over to verse 13 of chapter 20, and we'll come back to this, but this sort of gives us insight into why Abraham has done this. Well, he sort of agreed, if you will. He and Sarah had this one-way conversation because Sarah really didn't have much of, I shouldn't say she didn't have a choice, but he informs her, this is what we need to do, right? He says, when God made me wander from my father's house, stop right there. Doesn't that sound like he's sort of blaming God for this? You know, God made me wander from my house, so now we've got to do this, Sarah, right? I told her, this is what you can do to show your loyalty to me. Don't you love that? I don't think Abraham would have ever won husband of the year. I'm I'm serious. Listen, he's the father of our faith. There's a lot of great things that Abraham did. 
He didn't put his wife in good situations. And I don't know about you, but I think the Bible teaches me that when I love someone, I don't think of myself first, I think of them first. Abraham's not doing that. He's thinking of himself first, not his dear wife. So notice, he says there, every place we go, you say about me, he's my brother. Now, we'll come back to that, but that's what's going on here, right? So if you go back to verse 2, a couple things. One, this reminds us, and we're seeing this in Abraham, even the father of our faith, that all of us can struggle with what the Bible calls easily besetting sins. Those, those things that have sort of become entrenched. Those things that have just sort of grabbed a hold of us and we revert back to those bad habits more than others. There's there certain things that all of us individually struggle with more than others. What you may struggle with, I may not struggle with, but I might struggle with something you don't struggle with. But all of us have those areas of our life that seem to be the thing that always trips us up. This seems to be one of Abraham's. I'm afraid of what they're going to do to me, so I'm putting my wife out there to try to soften the blow. And I'm going to lie about our relationship because that's going to go better for me. And it's one thing to do it once and to have God rescue us once. But Abraham's coming right back to the same thing again because you and I all know if, if, if there's something in our life that's gotten a hold of us, it's hard to overcome. And, and, and we need to totally get to the place where we rely on the Lord to deliver us from this thing. And Abraham's not there yet, obviously. And the other thing that we realize in the first couple of verses here is that Abraham is the perfect poster child for being declared righteous by faith, right? It certainly wasn't Abraham's works that got him to a righteous standing for God, which is what the New Testament teaches, which is why Abraham is not only the father of the faithful in the Old Testament, he's also the father, according to Paul, in the book of Galatians and Romans, of the faithful in the New Testament, which would include us, the church. But it's certainly not based upon his own righteousness. He messed up a lot, right? There were times where Abraham's faith was soaring. And we're going to see that in a couple of weeks. But there were times where Abraham's faith was faltering, which is where he is now, up and down. And Abraham had to learn to be more consistent. But that's an important lesson for us because none of us here who are saved are saved by our own righteousness and own works. Thank the Lord. Because that's never going to save us, any of us. Which is also why if we're not saved or made righteous by our own works, that also means that I can't unwork my own salvation. It's based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ, not our righteousness. It's not based on our works, it's based on his work. 
And that's why if one is truly saved and entered into a relationship with Christ through faith, we can't lose that salvation because we never did anything to earn it in the first place. Just like Abraham. It wasn't because Abraham was such a great person all the time that God saved him. He saved him because he loved him. And Abraham, just like you and I, accepted that love and that gift of faith and responded in faith back to God. And God said, because of your faith, I declare you righteous for all time. And we'll come back to that at the end. So that's what we see in the first couple of verses, Abraham's deception. But then we come to verse 3 and those first two words. But God... Oh, if it wouldn't be for God in our lives, where would we all be? When we've made a mess of things, but here comes God to make a difference. And God is intervening here on Abraham and Sarah's behalf. Why? Because he made a promise. And he's going to see that promise fulfilled even if he has to rescue Abraham and Sarah many, many times, he's going to come through because he's not going to let his promise fail. But God. And we're going to see in this tremendous passage here that God not only intervenes on Abraham and Sarah's behalf, his own people, he intervenes on Abimelech's behalf as well. A pagan king who does not yet believe in him. That's our God. So God appears to Abimelech, this pagan king, in a dream at night and said to him, you're as good as dead because of the woman you've taken, for she is someone else's wife. Oops. By the way, let's not forget something about Sarah here. She's 90 years old at this point. 90 years old. And can I say this? I hope this will encourage especially the gals here tonight, those gals who are watching tonight. <clears throat> A godly woman's beauty never fades. A godly woman's beauty never fades. And so even at 90, Sarah's an attractive woman. She's beautiful on the inside and the outside because of her relationship and faith to God. Now, Abimelech, verse 4, had not gone near her. And he said, Lord, would you really slaughter an innocent nation? Did Abraham not say to me, she's my sister? And she herself said, he's my brother. I've done this with a clear conscience. It's with innocent hands. He's proclaiming, look, God, I... And I want to say here, this is a very good reminder to us that our God can speak into the lives of those that do not know him. You know, sometimes we as Christians, we're like, well, God's not doing anything. He's not... He's not like trying to reach them and save them. And I'm praying for their salvation. And I'm like, listen, God can speak into their 
hearts and minds and spirits and souls at any time, any place. And a lot of times it might be in the middle of the night when they're asleep or in a dream or something. But God has ways of communicating with us, his own people, and with those who aren't his people yet, anytime, anywhere, he wants to. Because he's God. And let's not forget that. And that's exactly what God's doing here. In fact, in verse 6, then in a dream, God replied to him, yes, I know that you've done this with a clear conscience. I know that, that you have not done this, you know, knowing all the details. In fact, God goes on to say, that is why I've kept you from sinning against me and why I did not allow you to touch her. God prevented Abimelech from sinning in ignorance. Ooh, that's our God. That's how far God will go with people if they're willing to listen to him. And this is, a, remember, this is a pagan king. But as we're going to see, even this pagan king is willing to have a healthy fear of God in his life, which is something that many today, even some people who claim to be followers of God, do not have. Because he responded to God's revelation into his life. God says in verse 7, Now give back the man's wife. Indeed, he is a prophet. Don't, don't miss that. He's not acting like a prophet of God right now, but God isn't telling anybody that he's not a prophet. To God, he's still his prophet man. Even though he's lying and getting them in all kinds of messes that God has to come in and intervene and clean up. That's, that's who God is. We always are who we are before our God because it's not based on our performance. God still considers Abraham his man, his prophet, if you will. And he will pray for you. Thus you will live. God is, as we're going to see amazingly at the end of this chapter is still going to work through Abraham in Abimelech's life. We'll get to that in just a minute. But if you don't give her back, know that you will surely die along with all who belong to you. I mean, God's very clear here, right? There's no mistake. This, even this pagan king can't go, I don't know what God, you know. No, God's been very clear, very gracious, though. Again, Here's Abraham messing and mucking things up and God comes in to save the situation, to intervene on Abraham's behalf, to intervene on Sarah's behalf, and to even intervene on Abimelech's behalf to prevent him from doing something that he shouldn't do and to bring consequences upon himself and upon his nation. So look at verse 8. After this night with God, Abimelech is eager to rectify the situation. <laughs> you ever been there? I'm sure you have. Where God has spoken to you and, and spoken to you so clearly and so strongly, it's like you just can't wait to deal with what you know God wants you to deal with. That's Abimelech. He says, so it says, early in the morning... Abimelech summoned all his servants 
And here's where I want you to see the fear of God in this place, in this pagan world and with this pagan king. Because when they told them about all these things, they were terrified. That's not a bad thing. That, that spoke about the fact that it's like, oh my goodness. We, we need to deal with this. This is, this is bad. They had a healthy fear of God. Abimelech then summoned Abraham. And here's where even Abraham now is confronted with his own sin. He says to him, what have you done to us? There again, we don't live in a vacuum. What we do affects others. What sin did I commit against you that you would cause you to bring such great guilt on me and my kingdom? You have done these things to me that should not be done. And how sort of humbling that this is coming from someone that is not a God follower to one who's supposed to be representing God. What's God doing here in this? Abraham's lack of faith in God is being exposed. You see, Abraham failed to trust in the God who loved him and made him promises. And God will always challenge his people's unbelief because he loves us. And he wants us to understand that that's not the best way to live. You're missing out on so much when you don't trust me and believe in me and believe in my promises. You're missing out. I need to challenge you with that lack of faith and unbelief because the only way that you will even think about correcting it And doing it different is by being confronted by it and being challenged by it. And God will do that in our lives. Why don't you trust me? Why aren't you believing in me? You see, because God understands we're the ones who circumvent the blessing of God in our life when we don't trust him. Then Abimelech, verse 10, asked Abraham, what prompted you to do this thing? One word answer, and Abraham gives it in the next verse. Fear. Abraham replied, because I thought surely no one fears God. Wrong. (laughs) They might not know God, but they have a healthy fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Oh, you got this all figured out, right, Abraham? Yeah, in your own head, but you haven't listened to the promises of God or believed in them because God said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you and bless you, and you're going to have descendants as many as the sand on the seashore. Well, then why do you keep thinking you're going to go around and someone's going to kill you? I got, I'm going to keep you alive. Don't you believe me? Don't you trust me? And what this shows us again is that fear is the opposite of faith. When you and I believe in God, there's no fear. There's no fear in love, John says. Perfect love casts out fear. And there are so many people today, including people of God, 
just like Abraham, who are living in fear, making decisions based upon fear and not faith. Trust God. Trust in his promises. Or else God will do the same thing with us that he did with Abraham. He will confront us with our unbelief and he will challenge our unbelief. And he will say in some way into our lives, you're not living your best life. You're not experiencing the abundant life that I came to give you because you're not living by faith. You're trusting in your own wit and wisdom to get you by rather than trusting in me. Notice in verse 12, I want to point this out before we wrap this up tonight in the last part. What's more, she is indeed, verse 12, so Abraham's trying to explain his thing away, right? She is indeed my sister. Well, my father's daughter, but not my mother's daughter. Well, here's the deal. A half-truth masquerading as a whole truth is a whole lie. Okay? Abraham's trying to sort of like, well, yeah. No, she's your wife. Don't try to excuse it. Don't try to explain it. You lied. And you lied because you're afraid. And you're not trusting in God. But God. But God. When Abraham's faith falters, God's faithfulness does not. And I want you to remember that in your life and in my life. That will always be true. When our faith falters in God, God's faithfulness to us never falters, never fails. God will never leave us or forsake us. God will always be true to us. And that's exactly what we see in this passage. Now, the passage ends in a very upbeat way for this reason. Abraham is going to intercede for Abimelech. So Abimelech gave sheep, cattle, and male and female servants. David, isn't it crazy that every time Abraham messes up like he did with Pharaoh, he gets stuff? He also gave his wife Sarah back to him. Then Abimelech said, look, my land is before you. Live wherever you please. And then I love what Abimelech... Abimelech did more to express honor to Sarah than Abraham did. Because notice what Abimelech says. He says, look, I have given a thousand pieces of silver to your brother. This is compensation for you so that you will stand vindicated, exonerated before all who are with you. Abimelech, a pagan king, wanted to make sure that everybody knew that Sarah had done nothing wrong. That she was completely exonerated, completely vindicated before everyone. That's cool. I like that. But then notice this. And it's extraordinary, isn't it? That Abraham would be used at this point as an instrument of blessing for Abimelech? Think about that. You and I would think humanly, Abraham's the last guy 
that God would want to use to bless Abimelech. And Abraham would be the last guy I would think Abimelech would want God to use to bless him after this. Ah, but God. See, we as human beings can't define or we're not the finality of it. We don't have the final word. We're not to be the ones to define those kind of situations. We can't make those kind of conclusions. Well, because this and that happened between these people, you know, they, they could... No, but God. God makes all the difference in the world. And even though you and I would say Abraham has mucked this situation up with Abimelech so bad that God could never use him in Abimelech's life. Oh, yes, he can, because he's God. And he can use any instrument and anybody that he wants to. Because there's something even special about this pagan king Abimelech at this point that he's willing to go along with whatever God chooses to do. And we're going to see how then this begins to bring Abimelech to a place later on where I believe he becomes a Jehovah follower. So Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech as well as his wife and female slaves so that they were able to have children. For the Lord had caused infertility to strike every woman in the household of Abimelech because he took Sarah, Abraham's wife. A couple things. First of all, this passage and chapter reminds us that God uses us for his glory in spite of ourselves. Oh, I'm so glad of that. Because can I tell you about every Sunday and Wednesday up here, I feel like, God, you got to use me in spite of myself. I feel like I don't come near to where I should as a pastor teacher and I'm glad that some of you and, and get something out of it. And I hope that encourages you. God will always use us in spite of ourselves for his glory. And if you want a biblical example, right here in Genesis 20 is Abraham. God was using Abraham to bring him glory and to bless Abimelech. Not because Abraham was doing it right at this point but because he was God's man and had a relationship with God. And here's what I want to end with, and I want you to turn to a couple of these passages with me tonight. And this, this is, I think, really powerful. In every verse and in every passage of Scripture where Abraham is mentioned for the rest of the Bible, and he's mentioned a lot. He, he's one of the top five people who have more said about him than anybody else in the Bible. Not once, not once does God ever mention Abraham's failures. He always calls him a person of faith. He always commends him. He always compliments him. He always edifies him and builds him up. He never tears Abraham down. Not once will you find God doing that in his word. He never mentions Abraham's failures. 
I hope that will encourage you. Listen, we're going to fall short throughout our life just like Abraham. And we're going to fail God at times. But our God has forgiven us just as he forgave Abraham. And he doesn't bring our sins up in our face. No, he forgives. And I want to share a couple of powerful passages with you in closing tonight. Turn with me to Psalm 103. Psalm 103, beginning at verse 10. Let these words really penetrate your heart and mind tonight. The psalmist tells us God does not deal with us as our sins deserve. He does not repay us as our misdeeds deserve. For as the skies are high above the earth, so his loyal love towers over his faithful followers. As far as the eastern horizon is from the west, so he removes the guilt of our rebellious actions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on his faithful followers. For he knows what we are made of. He realizes we are made of clay. And then if you'll turn over to the book of Micah. Micah is one of those minor prophets at the end of the Old Testament. It's about halfway through between Hosea and Malachi. And it's Micah chapter 7, the very last chapter of the book of Micah. Verses 18 and 19. The prophet Micah says, There is no other God like you. You forgive sin and pardon the rebellion of those who remain among your people. You do not remain angry forever, but delight in showing loyal love. You will once again have mercy on us and you will conquer our evil deeds. You will hurl our sins into the depths of the sea. Not once. Does God ever mention the failures of Abraham? And you know what that says? God is never going to once mention your failures and my failures. They are under the blood of Jesus Christ. And they are forgiven for all time. He has hurled them into the sea. He has separated them as far as the east is from the west. What a God. And I don't know about you, but after reading and studying Genesis chapter 20, I go, what a joy. And what an opportunity to serve a God like that. What a joy. And what an opportunity to serve a God like that. Let's pray. God, we thank you tonight that, Lord, you make all the difference in our lives and in this world. Lord, once again, we've seen that even Abraham, the great Abraham, mucked it up again. But there you were, God, intervening, cleaning it up, rescuing and saving and delivering and forgiving and pardoning 
And God, that's what you do with us too. I love what the psalmist says. Your loyal love towers over your faithful followers. And you conquer our evil deeds through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Oh God, what a great God you are. What a gracious God you are. And so, Lord, I pray tonight that we've been encouraged. That, God, those of us who may be a little beat down or discouraged or deflated right now would remind ourselves, God, you always want us to get back up. Not let ourselves or the enemy keep us down or keep kicking us down. But to rise in your love and in your forgiveness. And always realize, God, that there's pardon and forgiveness with you. And so, Lord, we pray tonight that we also realize, God, that you use us all in spite of ourselves. Just as you did Abraham. And I pray that the principles that, Lord, we've seen in this chapter, and maybe some that have seen some for themselves, would be such an encouragement, Lord, to them as they go to home to their home tonight or as we go to sleep later on tonight. And God, wake us up tomorrow just refreshed in you, God, knowing that we have a new day and great is your faithfulness and your mercies are new every morning. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Thank you for being here. We'll see you next week.